On Fascism and Censorship, Letter 2. This follows the first letter of my correspondence with Margaret Anna Alice, in which we discuss fascism, censorship, and humor. Margaret Anna writes about propaganda psychology and health at Margaret Anna Alice Through the Looking Glass. If you find her letter below as fascinating and informative as I do, follow the link to her stack and subscribe. Also, I'm not going to read her letter in this audio, so if you'd like to hear her response to me, you'll have to go through and read it for yourself. Dear Margaret Anna, thank you for your clarifying response. I'm struck by the darkly discerning passage you shared by Lin Yu Tang, premonishing us to fear ever more than fascism or communism, quote, the fanatical spirit which infuses them and leads to logical absurdities. Sadly, so very many parts of the West have fallen to the fate of Laokuan and the slowly tightening serpent's grip of such fanaticism. Our newspapers, universities, hospitals, even our militaries and elementary schools have voluntarily bent the knee to our rebarbative bullies. Lynn was right. Humor is among our best weapons against this virulent strain of stupidity. But only to awaken or provide relief. To actually wrestle ourselves and our children from this pig-bellied viper will require a sea change in public sentiment. And, I fear, things are going to get much worse before they get better. This Marxist-Leninist, woke, progressive, anti-racist, but actually racist, COVID-authoritarian, pro-Hamas nonsense is not nearly done with us yet. Thank you also for clarifying that you were using hyperbole when you compared certain figures to Nazis, but that you believe, quote, extremist rhetoric and discriminatory policies carried out during COVID can legitimately be compared to the gradual progression of increasingly exclusionary laws under the Third Reich. Yes, people who did not follow proper COVID protocols, even though those protocols naturally changed and even reversed, were indeed ostracized and treated as pariahs by many. More to the point, I agree that the psychopathologies of fanatic COVID enforcers and literal Nazis are comparable, if not the same, in the sense that both groups not only carried out increasingly exclusionary practices, but conceptualized their targets as harmful to society in addition to being morally repulsive. I also acknowledge that many of the stages of Gregory H. Stanton's 10 stages of genocide were apparent during the pandemic, but I'm not convinced that dehumanization was among them. In your post, Letter to a Holocaust Denier, you wrote that we are now at the 10th stage. Instead of the earlier dehumanization stage, throughout this pandemic of the unvaccinated, the non-injected have been portrayed as selfish spreaders of disease who should be denied medical procedures for being a threat to the public health. I examine the process of gradual dehumanization in more detail in Letter to Covidian. Your Letter to a Covidian describes unfair and unkind treatment. But according to Stanton, the dehumanization stage is when, quote, one group denies the humanity of the other. Members of it are equated with animals, vermin, insects, or diseases. Dehumanization overcomes the normal human revulsion against murder. At this stage, hate propaganda in print and on hate radios is used to vilify the victim group. The majority group is taught to regard the other group as less than human and even 
alien to their society. They are indoctrinated to believe that we are better off without them. The powerless group can become so depersonalized that they are actually given numbers rather than names, as Jews were in the death camps. They are equated with filth, impurity, and immorality. Hate speech fills the propaganda of official radio, newspapers, and speeches. There were certainly people who did and do believe we are better off without unvaccinated people, but very little of the rest of the above passage applies. Yes, there were isolated examples of some of the worst forms of speech above directed at unvaccinated individuals. But to qualify as a stage in Stanton's list, it would have to be widespread, if not sanctioned by the state. And while unvaccinated individuals did face widespread scorn, this was not the general consensus. The general consensus was that they were putting other people's health at risk by not getting vaccinated and helping stop the spread of the disease, and that therefore they were behaving selfishly and dangerously, and that if they refused vaccination, as was their right, some argued they shouldn't be allowed to mingle with others and spread the disease, and that therefore shops, theaters, and schools should not admit them. There was also, of course, a nastier strain of this argument that compared unvaccinated individuals to drunk drivers because while they did not consciously choose to harm others, they took actions that nevertheless resulted in harm or could have. Even stronger versions of this argument called them killers or potential killers. But what we did not see were governments around the world, or as far as I'm aware, even a single government, encouraging its people to think of the unvaccinated as animals, vermin, insects, or diseases. Nor did this line of thinking catch on with the general public. In fact, while it may have taken place in some derisory corner of the internet, I witnessed no such thing. So, I'm not convinced that genocidal dehumanization took place on a sufficiently large scale to qualify by Stanton's metric. What, what does qualify would be the example by DEI trainer Kike Ojo Thompson, berating Canadian educator Richard Bilkstow in her class and calling him a weed and talking about getting out the weed whacker because he disagreed that Canada is more racist a country than the United States. That is genocidal rhetoric. He was also dehumanized by fellow classmates who referred to him not as a human being, but as the whiteness. The ordeal was so profoundly hurtful for him that he ultimately took his own life. But it was only Ojo Thompson and Bilkstow's fellow classmates who did this? So again, it was not widespread across Canada, nor did it reach the level of official sanction. That aside, I would like to know how much of a free speech supporter you actually are. Are you a free speech absolutist? Do you support some restrictions, such as Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr.'s famous dictum about falsely shouting fire in a crowded theater? Do you support censorship in any form? And is there any circumstance in which you would actually support restriction or even coercion of individuals for the sake of the majority? In other words, is your opposition to COVID protocol that it was coercive or that the science was not, in your view, sufficiently proven, but that if it had been, and if the threat had been high enough, you then, in fact, would have supported harsh restrictive measures? Finally, allow me to close by agreeing with you about the story of the tsunami and how people may seem hyperbolic when, in fact, they are fleeing danger and trying to alert others in the process. Well said. Thanks.
and talk soon.